0: all right thank you David for leading us in that time of singing in praise and now everyone is our time to get into our study of God's Word and since today is Palm Sunday we're going to be reading one of the four gospel accounts of Jesus triumphal entry into Jerusalem on this very day 2,000 years ago so if you have your Bibles go ahead and open up at this time to the gospel according to Luke chapter 19 and we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 40 so the gospel according to Luke chapter 19 verses 28 through 40 I'm going to go ahead and begin by reading this passage and I will pray and we'll get into our study this morning Luke 19 28 through 40 this is the word of the Lord When Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd teacher rebuke your disciples but he answered and said to them I tell you that if these should keep silent the stones would immediately cry out. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning. We just pray that the Holy Spirit would be our guide and would be our teacher. Lord, as we look back on those world-changing events 2,000 years ago, we pray that you would unite us together in faith with those who place their trust in you. Lord, we pray we would not be like so many who doubted and rejected Jesus because he did not fit their mold and their desires. But rather, Lord, we pray we would allow you to reshape us this morning into your image so that we can see you as the king you really are and to worship you and fall down and follow you with the rest of our lives. We ask for your blessing now on this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, according to the World Christian Encyclopedia, there are over 30,000 different Christian denominations in the world. And I know that very fact is used by detractors of Christianity as a reason why Christianity is not believable, or at the very least is confusing. So that if somebody genuinely wanted to know, what Christianity taught, if they genuinely wanted to know who Jesus was, what he did, and what their response to him ought to be, they say, look at all these denominations we can't possibly know. But I would like to point out something that is often unrecognized. And that is even though it might be true that there's over 30-something thousand Christian denominations. And yet on this very day, the vast majority of all those denominations are celebrating the exact same event as one another. And we are participants in that. We are all pointing back to this single day. Home Sunday, the day that marks the beginning of a simple week, apparently just a seven-day period that has been referred to historically as Holy Week or Passion Week, that all these different Christian groups, no matter where they are in the world, no matter how different they might appear on the outside, no matter how different some of their secondary doctrines might be, and yet all of those groups, the vast majority of them, point to this week to this man and what happened in jerusalem on this very day as not only being something that matters and has significance but is actually at the very heart the very center of what christianity is this is the essence of Christianity, What is happening here is the culmination of Jesus' entire life, from the famous birth narratives that we recall during Christmas time, through the relative obscurity of Jesus' early years and even most of his adult life, until the launching of his ministry, Three years prior to this very day in which Jesus first began his teaching ministry and performing his miraculous signs and wonders. But all of that was pointing to this one little moment in time. And as a matter of fact, you can see that as you read the four Gospels. They cover mass amounts of time. They'll just skip the majority of Jesus' life and not even mention what happened uh, for most of his life, from the time he was a baby to the time he was 12. And Luke is the only evangelist. It gives us a little bit of insight into what he was like at 12, but then we hear nothing again until he's 30. And so all of a sudden, the fact that the Gospels slow down When it comes to Holy Week, that they slow down and meticulously record every single little thing that Jesus did and said is highlighting for us that this is not just something related to Christianity, this is. Christianity. This is the heart, and this is what binds all Christians together. And so, friends, in a world that is obsessed with differences and where differences are being used to divide people against one another, I want to point out the place in which all these Christian differences find their unity. They find their essence. And I would say that where Christianity finds its unity, is also the place where all of humanity is meant to find their unity as well. And so what we're going to see as we look through this passage of Luke's account of Palm Sunday, I want to point out that what Luke is doing is presenting Jesus as king. He is presenting Jesus as king. He is the anointed king. He is the Mashiach, the Messiah. He is the promised one, the son of David that God had promised long ago to his people. And so that is what Luke is trying to get at. And so let us walk through together with Luke what was happening on that first Palm Sunday. So beginning in verse 28, it says, When he, and that is Jesus, had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting because Jesus is not actually alone at this point. He's traveling with a group of his disciples from Galilee. And in Luke's Gospel, this journey has begun quite some time ago up in the northern part of Israel in Galilee. And he's been traveling down a 100 miles or so, down on foot, All the way to Jerusalem and so it's taken him some time and he has not done this alone but he has done this with a group of his followers but notice when we arrive at verse 28 it looks as though Jesus is alone for only he is mentioned in the text when he had said this he went ahead so why is Luke acting like Jesus is alone when we know that he's not well friends I think you and I all know that we can go through seasons in life, we can go through times in life in which we might be surrounded by people. Maybe we show up at a church service on a Sunday and we're surrounded by people and we're instructed to greet one another in the Lord. And yet, because of where we're going and what we know lies before us, we can feel alone. And I think Luke is communicating that here. Even though Jesus is the Son of God, even though Jesus is surrounded by his disciples, and yet there's this sense of being alone. He alone knows he can fully walk this road. He alone knows that though these disciples are with him now, by the end of the week they will not be with him. He will be alone, and only he can walk. The road that the Father has laid before them and so implicitly I believe that is being recounted for us here and it says when he had said this he went ahead going up to Jerusalem and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying go into the village opposite you whereas you will enter and you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat Loose it, bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Now, Luke points out where this journey, or at least this triumphal entry, begins. As I said, this journey towards Jerusalem has been going on for quite some time. But here marks the final stage. Bethany is just about a mile and a half to two miles east, over the Kidron Valley and up near the Mount of Olives. Now, we don't actually know where Bethphage is, but apparently it was a tiny village, and it's probably mentioned here because it was somewhat near Bethany, and it is the place where Jesus is going to tell his disciples to retrieve this specific donkey. Now, all of this, I want to suggest to you, is communicating to the disciples, to the people in Jerusalem and to us today, that Jesus is finally accepting the title of king. He is accepting the title of king. One of the things that might come surprising to modern readers of the Bible today is that for most of his ministry, Jesus shunned the title of Messiah and king. He did not want to accept it. Throughout his ministry, people were constantly asking the question, Who are you? Who are you? Who do you say you are? And Jesus would push back on that. He didn't want to receive the titles that people were pushing on him. Now that might seem strange. You would think, if you are the Messiah and if you are the king, why wouldn't you just say so? And the reason is not that Jesus was rejecting Messiahship and kingship as such, for that's exactly who he was. But the reason Jesus pushes back on it is because people had wrong ideas of what being the Messiah meant and what being a king meant. You see, for most people at that time, the Jewish people, the Messiah was the one who on this day would march into Rome, probably not on a donkey, but on a war horse. And he would conquer Rome. He would be a political messiah who would take care of all the political problems. He would be for his people, the Jewish people, they would all be safe, and the Romans are the bad guys, and they will be expelled violently and by force. But the problem is, though Jesus will one day do that, so they weren't entirely wrong, one day Jesus will establish his kingdom in its fullness. But the problem is, no one is fit for the kingdom of God. That's one of the things that many of the Jewish leaders felt, well, we're ethnically descended from Abraham. We keep the, the religious rules. But over and over, we start to see that everyone has sinned, as Paul says in Romans, and have fallen short of the glory of God no one's righteous no not one that means it's not only not just the Romans who won't be getting into the kingdom not even the Jewish people will get into the kingdom because they too are sinners the problem of both Jew and Gentile goes beyond Abraham back to Adam a connection that Luke in particular highlights Taking the genealogy of Jesus backwards, beginning with his birth, all the way to Adam, the son of God. Because that's where the problems in the world really begin. They don't just begin with political systems and institutions. They begin with human beings and human nature as such. Because all have inherited the sin of Adam and all have fallen Adam in his sin and rebellion against God. And so Jesus has pushed back on these titles. But now the time has come. The time has come for him to welcome and receive these titles and these acclamations. And it's not because he's going to fulfill their desire, but rather by so doing. He is going to activate the eschatological events, the end time events where the Messiah will suffer and die on behalf of his people. And he must do what he's doing here, this triumphal entry. He must receive this claims and titles to Messiahship and King in order to fulfill his passion on the cross at the end of Holy Week. So we see here that all of this is going according to plan. Now, one of the ways that it's highlighted that Jesus is consciously, consciously seeing himself as king, is that as I mentioned, Jesus' journey began about a hundred miles north. And keep in mind, Jesus walked. He walked the entire way, almost 100 miles on foot from the northern part, Capernaum and Galilee, all the way down. So after walking almost 100 miles, you might ask yourself, why in the world is he now, when you've got a mile and a half left to go, a mile and a half, are you now retrieving a donkey to ride on? Why would you do that? Not only that, the Jewish Talmud speaks that any pilgrim going to Jerusalem for one of the great pilgrim feasts, if they are able to walk, they ought to walk. So what is Jesus doing? Why He certainly doesn't need to ride. He's been walking this entire way. The answer is Jesus is consciously fulfilling Messianic prophecy. He is consciously fulfilling Zechariah 9, 9 that speaks of Israel's king coming lowly and riding on a donkey specifically. And so Jesus is proclaiming himself as king. And as you're going to see later on in the text, not only are people calling Jesus king, but when he is told to rebuke his followers for acclaiming him as such, he refuses to rebuke them, meaning he is accepting those titles and acclamations. So we see here Jesus telling them to retrieve this donkey. And it says, verse 32, that they found it just as he said. Verse 34, and they answered, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on. On him, So we have sort of an enthronement scene. Notice it's not Jesus who gets up on the donkey. It's disciples who've been eager for this moment. They've been waiting and even they don't know what's happening. They think the political moment of their salvation has come, that Rome is going to be conquered and they're going to get to rule and reign on earth right now. And so they put Jesus up on the donkey. And as he went, verse 36, many spread their clothes on the road. Again, this is the kind of thing that was done for royalty and dignitaries of state by laying their clothes down. And again, Luke doesn't mention the palm branches, probably because Luke was aiming at reaching Gentiles, non-Jews, to whom the detail of palm branches might have gone on misunderstood. So he communicates something his Gentile audience would understand, which is they're laying their clothes down, which is what people would do. They're, They're allowing the king to walk over their clothes, signifying their submission and reverence to him. Verse 37 Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So again, this group right here, most likely, though it could include some of the people in Jerusalem, it's probably this entourage of disciples that have been following him down on his journey from Galilee. And notice it's qualified. It's not just a crowd. Generally, it's a specific crowd, namely a crowd that had seen the mighty works. So they had been watching Jesus. As he had taught them the word of God over three years, they had seen him heal the blind, enable people to walk and raise a dead man to life. He had performed mighty signs and miracles. And so for them, this is a great day. This is a day of jubilation where Jesus is finally doing what they've been wanting him to do this whole time. And here's what they say. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this is a quotation from Psalm 118, the very psalm that we began service with this morning. And Psalm 118 is one of the six Hallel Psalms. It's one of the six songs that would be sung by pilgrims to Jerusalem during one of the great three pilgrim feasts of Israel. And what's interesting about Psalm 118 in particular is it's an enthronement psalm. In other words, if you go back to Psalm 118, it's a story of a king riding towards Israel in triumph and entering in. And so it's no mistake that here we have Jesus seeing himself as king, established or acknowledging that he is king. He's receiving the adulation of kingship and he's marching in. And what is being said of him is Psalm 118, where the very same scene or similar type is actually taking place. But there's one difference that Luke records. Now, some of you might notice that Zechariah 9.9, the prophecy I just pointed to, is actually not explicitly mentioned here in Luke's account. It's mentioned in the other Gospels. And yet, I want to say, I believe it's actually alluded to here, and we can know that because Psalm 118, though we can fully recognize it's being quoted, there's one word that's been added, that's been changed. So, in our text this morning, notice it says, verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. If you look at the other gospel accounts and you go to Psalm 118, verse 26, what does it say? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It doesn't say king. It says, blessed is he. So here, the fact that it says, blessed is king, is probably not only a reference to the fact that the people saw Jesus as king, but it's probably a blending together of these two verses of Psalm 118.26, as well as Zechariah 9.9. Furthermore, as I said, the whole context of psalm 118 supports such an interpretation because psalm 118 is an enthronement psalm for a king and so blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord we can know on palm sunday the people welcoming jesus that day saw him as king we can know that jesus saw himself as king on that sunday but notice here how we're already being hinted at that Jesus is a king unlike any other king he is a king nobody was expecting and that clue comes in the very next verse or second half I should say of verse 38 peace in heaven and glory in the highest peace in heaven now if you're a reader of the Gospel of Luke, if you're a student of Luke's Gospel, you well, actually you don't have to be a student of Luke's Gospel, you just have to be a fan of Christmas, right? Whenever we celebrate Christmas, we often often read Luke's birth narrative. And one of the famous scenes when the angels appear to the shepherds, what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Interesting. Peace on earth. But notice how here it's reversed. The one the angels declared can bring peace on earth is also the one who brings peace in heaven. That is because Jesus is the one and only God-man. He is the king unlike every other king. He is the king who is the only one able not only to bring peace on earth, but to give men peace in heaven with God. A clue to the glorious, unprecedented, unparalleled kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this section concludes, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So the Pharisees, They're supposed to be the guardians of the Bible. Don't let that pass you by unnoticed. The Pharisees were not the aristocracy, the elite. That was the Sadducees. No, the Pharisees were the Bible people. And they said, stop these people, Jesus. Stop them. They were supposed to be people preparing others to receive Jesus. And yet here they are. The keepers of the word of God, and they're actually barring people from knowing and worshiping Jesus. And notice his response, verse 40. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So the idea that some skeptics and critics of the Gospels who say the Gospel writers are making Jesus into a king, but he never said that about himself, friends, that is patently untrue. Because we see here, Jesus had no need of a donkey after making 98.5% of the trip on foot. He is doing this, retrieving the donkey, because he is proclaiming himself as the promised Davidic King and the Messiah. And even the Savior of the world who brings peace not only on earth, but in heaven. And here, to put a final stamp on it, his final mark of affirmation, When the Pharisees see what is happening and they see it's a threat to them, it's a threat to their power, specifically to their political power and freedom. And we know this because they say so in the Gospel of John chapter 11. They're scared if Jesus is proclaimed as king in Jerusalem, there will be a riot and the Romans will come and take their political earthly freedom away. And so they said, we can't allow Jesus to be king if it ruins our earthly lives and Jesus responds not only will I not stop them if they were to stop these stones would cry out in other words the creator is present. What can the world do but bring him glory? The very lifeless rocks would know to ascribe glory to their king and maker. And yet, how sad it is that of all creation, human beings, God's very image bearers who are made in the image of God, who are made to reflect the glory of God and worship God, not only do not know him, but patently reject him. Again, we're not pinning all of the events of Easter week on the Jewish people or the Pharisees. For in this, we must see ourselves. For we like sheep have all gone astray. We have all sinned. We have all each chosen to eat of the forbidden fruit, to know for ourselves rather than to trust, to define for ourselves what good and evil is going to be for us and for our world. We have all sinned and fallen short. We have all, like the Pharisees, tried to stop Jesus. Maybe some of you watching this video, whether live this morning or some other time, you too, like the Pharisees, have said, No, I can't let Jesus be king. I can't let him ride triumphantly in my life. And unless he is the kind of king I think he should be, unless he makes all this fine the way I think it should be fine, I will not accept him. I'm interested in peace in my life, but not peace in heaven. Friend, I think we can all find ourselves there. I know I found myself in that place for my teenage years and my young adult life. I knew that Jesus was Lord, and I even knew what kind of Lord he was, but I did not want him. I did not want him because I knew his claims would be all-encompassing. I knew he wasn't going to march to my orders and my whims and my desires. I knew that if I followed him and proclaimed him as the king, he says that he is, all of my life, all of my future, all of my hopes and my dreams would be his. And I didn't want to do that. What happened, you might ask? One day, the burden of my sins became so overwhelming the guilt and the shame of knowing i had sinned against god and knowing that one day whether sooner or later that like all human beings i would die and after i die i would stand before the judgment seat of god And he's going to ask one question. And it won't be, how many great companies did you build? What was your, uh, what's the most amount of money you made in your life? How many people thought you were a great person? How many followers did you have on Twitter or Instagram? He is not going to ask you any of those things. Instead, he will ask you this. What did you do with my son? What did you do? With the Lord Jesus when he was riding in on a donkey lowly and humbly into the gates of your heart did you welcome him in and say Hosanna save now or did you say no Lord keep silent stay out I would rather rid my life of you than allow you to rule and reign for who you are friend if that's you I would just want to plead with you I understand that position because I've been there and like all believers we can be tempted to go backwards back where we came from but whether you're a person who's never received Jesus Christ this morning whether you're a believer who's perhaps backslidden and you were you were one of the disciples praising Jesus when Jesus would do what you wanted him to do and suddenly the events of Easter week unfolded in your life and you saw that God's ways are not your ways That there's suffering, that the road of Jesus, though there's moments of triumph and joy, yet there is also suffering and sorrow. And so perhaps you've walked away. You've walked away from the church. You've walked away from reading the Bible. You've walked away from prayer. You've walked away from giving your daily life in service to God. I would want to urge you to come to Jesus today. I want to urge you to come back. And I want to plead with all of you this morning that Jesus is a king worth following let us pray Lord I thank you and praise you that though we are worthy of nothing but death and judgment you have so loved the world that you sent your one and only son into the world not to condemn the world but that through your son Jesus the world might be saved Lord, I just want to lift up any of my brothers and sisters, any men and women out there who might be watching. And I would just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through these words and that you would preach these truths to their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would overcome our resistance. Your Spirit would overcome our rebellion. That you would prepare in us a desire to receive Jesus as the king he says that he is. That we would welcome him in, knowing that the road of following Jesus will not always be easy or pleasant. In fact, we are promised that the path to life is narrow, difficult, and few there are that find it. And so, Lord, we just pray that though the way is challenging and difficult, would you just preach this word to our hearts this morning? Though the way be difficult and marked by the cross, eternal glory and joy lie on the other side to all who surrender their lives to follow Jesus. Lord, I just pray you would do a work in us. I pray you would do a work in Image Church, Lord, that you would birth in us a desire for you more than any earthly thing, that as we celebrate Easter this week, Lord, as we seek to be used by you. Lord, all those who might be watching later, and our brothers and sisters, as we mentioned, the many churches, thousands of churches around the world, we pray, Lord, we would not focus on our differences to the point of division, but rather we would be united around the simple message that Jesus is king. And just as this king came, and suffered and died, and so he will return, but in conquering and triumph. And Lord, help us to live in light of that victory, humbly following Jesus as our great God and King. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to share with you, if any of you prayed receive the Lord this morning or you would like someone to pray with you if you need any resources if you need a Bible if there's any books on Christian living and basic Christian practice that we can provide for you no charge we would want to do that for you and so if that's you there's two ways you can get a hold of us Uh, the first way is you can email us at information at imagechurchoc.com that's information at imagechurchoc.com and and just let us know that you prayed to receive the Lord or if you're a backslidden Christian you prayed for the Lord to heal you and bring you back to the fold and to walk with Jesus and let us know how we can pray for you if you don't have a Bible let us know we'll send you a Bible at no cost to you and if there's any books on Christian living if there's certain specific questions or a big stumbling block to you we'd be happy to provide other resources for you as well that will supplement your Bible reading. And so be sure to let us know. You can also send a message through the Facebook message feature as well, and we'll check that also. Again, for those that would like to continue this morning's worship and support of the Ministry of Image Church through tithes and offerings, there's a couple of ways you can do that. The first way is you can go onto our website, which is imagechurchoc.com. And there's a Giving tab up at the top, and you can click there, and you're able to give using either a debit or a credit card. For those of you that would prefer mailing in a check or money order, you can do so to our church mailing address, which is 27762 Antonio Parkway. L is in Larry 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California, 92694. Again, all that information is on our website, imagechurchfc.com. Just a few quick announcements before we go. Uh, first of all, tomorrow night we have a community group that will be meeting in San Juan. Capistrano, so we'll be be meeting together to reflect on this message, to reflect on the events of Holy Week together, to share that and to partake of Holy Communion together as well. So if you're in the San Juan Capistrano area and you would like to join us, again, just let us know. You can send us an email uh, to informationimagechurchoc.com and we'll make that known to you. Don't forget, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, we have a midweek Bible study. Again, I encourage you to stay in God's Word. I know people are filling their minds with all kinds of stuff, whether it's the news or Netflix or whatever else. Not saying those are bad, but I'm saying this is more important. I really am. So join us. Let the Word of God wash you and cleanse you from the filth and stain of life in this world. It's a must for every follower of Jesus. So there's an opportunity for you to do that with a qualified Bible teacher on Wednesday nights at 7. Uh, Friday, since it's Good Friday, we're going to have a special Zoom prayer meeting and time of communion at noon. So if you'd like to participate in this Zoom meeting where we can see each other and we can pray together, we can seek the Lord, we'll read some passages from the crucifixion accounts of Christ and partake of communion together. We'll be doing that on Zoom. Again, that's a private invitation, but all you need to do is send us an email if you're not already on our email list, and we will make sure you get the link for that. And then lastly, next Sunday, we'll actually be meeting in person in San Juan Capistrano. We'll have a special Easter message. We'll have a full uh, image church band led by David Perez, and we're going to have an Easter egg hunt after service for the kids. So it's going to be an amazing time of celebrating Jesus and celebrating the hope that we have as Christians. And friends, I believe if there was ever an hour in the history of our country when we need hope, when we need a message of hope from God, this is it. This is the time. And it's not centered around what people in the world are doing. It's centered on what God is doing through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I highly encourage you to come celebrate Easter service with us next Sunday. The information on directions and address and everything is on our website, imagechurchoc.com. We'll post it on Facebook later this week as well. Thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. A happy Palm Sunday. And let me just close with this prayer of blessing. May the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you, everyone. Hope to join you again very soon.